What I want to share with you this morning are just a couple of things very briefly, and uh, I don't have my PowerPoint thing up here, so I just have a a piece of paper with me. A a couple of brief things, and then we're going to get into what Paul had to say to, uh, to Timothy. So let's have a word of prayer, and let's take a look at this. Father, we thank you so much as we can come to you in a, in a time that, uh, that the world seems to be losing its collective mind, that we can come to you and there is order. There is, there is no chaos. Everything is understood. Everything is known. We thank you that you have revealed to us these truths, that we could have not just faith and not just hope, but an absolute ironclad surety of the things to come. We thank you for that and we pray, God, that as we come to your word that we would have our eyes open to it and that you would reveal maybe new things to us, things that we hadn't seen before, though we know the big picture. We thank you. We give to you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you look at these, here's some of the the things that if you were here for the conference, these are just big topic type things. And so there is a pressure to conform that's happening from outside of the church. I shared some things that were happening as far as the state of California and the, the attempt to try to silence the work of the church. We've seen it through a number of the other speakers that as far as the, the governments and the, the machinery of man is doing the same, entire, the same kind of thing that, that's taking place, that worldwide there is an attempt to try to marginalize the believer. But we also saw that it's happening from inside the church as well. And so the people that are trying to get us to conform to earthly thought have made their way into the church and they share those things and are now trying to get the church to embrace the things that the world embraces. We see that there's a challenge to God's word as being authoritative. That's been going on for a long time. But the idea that people would get together and use a Sunday morning to want to understand God's word and not just to be entertained, that is being in churches kind of pushed aside that the Bible becomes, as you see the last of them, these things are kind of divisive to some people. Don't teach the Bible because it divides people. Well, the Bible says of those people that the word would divide them, so it's expected. But then there is also this idea of the marginalizing of those who profess belief. Are you seeing all of these things in the world around you? And so if you were at the conference and you hadn't seen them, you've been given some examples. And they're just ones of millions that could be given to you. A couple of other things. They're going to pull up the next one here. So, Okay, so... Let's look at what Jesus had to say, chapter 3 of John, because one of the things that we see when we talk about the kind of things that we're talking about, especially when you look at what Pastor David had said in the last, in the last session, we, he's talking about judgment. And when you talk to your family and your friends or whoever God puts in front of you and you begin to talk about things like judgment, you'll usually get something thrown back at you like, oh, so you believe in some God of love. Why would a God of love send someone to hell? You hear that, that kind of thing said all the time. And it's a way of trying to put us off of our message and then make us start defending things. And I, I hope that you understand this, that when people try to challenge us that way, we should embrace those kinds of questions. But we want to make sure that we put it into a proper understanding and a context. They say it as a way to try to start an argument or to take us off of what we were going to say to get us into a place of defensiveness. I like to be able to point to what Jesus had to say and let them take a look at the word for themselves. And and so often you'll hear people say, well, that's just your interpretation. Great. Let's read this together and you give me yours. So... Here's what we see that Jesus answers. Now, this is, of course, right after John 3.16, right? We might forget there's a verse that comes right after it. 
Well, here it is. For God did not send his son, this is Jesus, of course, speaking of himself, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That gets left out of the conversation at all times. Look at what else it says in verse 18. For he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So if people are having that problem with God's going to judge and that people are going to hell and all the rest of that, make sure that they understand that God is going to give them what they desire because it is a lack of belief that qualifies them for that, not just because God said, I'm sending you and you can't do anything about it. These are the people who do not believe. And then you see in verse 19, and so this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light. Why is that? Because the fruit of their life, the deeds, are evil. What is produced from their life, God looks at and says, it is evil. So that is what condemns them. It is the lack of belief, and that is proven by the things that they do, and their life demonstrates it. So as we look at what Paul has to say, let me just point out a couple of things before we look at the next slide. If you turn with me to 2 Timothy get to chapter 3, there are some very, very recognizable verses in chapter 3 and chapter 4, many of which you've probably heard in a lot of times in context of conferences and places like this. Let me just give you a little perusal of some of those verses. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says this, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. We've heard that plenty of times, right? It describes the people, but then we see in verse 5 it says that they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. We're familiar with the verse, right? We're familiar with verse 13 where it says, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We look at verse 16, all scripture is given by the authority or by the, the, it is presented to us, it is breathed by God, profitable for doctrine and for these other things. You'll see, we'll get to them in just a moment. We're all familiar with those verses, aren't we? Verse 4, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ that who will judge the living and the dead at his kingdom to preach the word. And then he gets into verse 3 where the time's going to come when they won't endure sound doctrine. We know those verses, don't we? But it is a very easy thing to forget that they are said in succession. We usually hear them selected out and they're part of a study. But remember, the first two chapters of this are dedicated to Paul. And this is really kind of his way of saying, Timothy, I'm at the end of things. Where I leave off, you are to pick up. So the first couple of chapters are very personal. And they are the the person that is passing the, the, the mantle, if you will, onto the next person. So they are, again, they are personal from one person to another, and it is also a way of assurance and comfort and saying, make sure that you pass this on. What you've heard from me, pass it on to someone else. He's saying all of those things because he knows that he's getting to chapter 3. Remember, when this would have been read, it would be read as a letter. It's not chapter and verse. We've done that because it's easy for us to navigate our way through the text. But this is a continuing thought. All the way back at verse 5, it tells us about the people that were so instrumental in his life, Lois and Eunice. So these people that he has known ever since he was a child in these scriptures, as he will say in chapter 3, they're able to make him wise. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But Paul says, by the way, Timothy, you haven't been given a spirit of fear. Instead, what you've been given 
is one that's of power and love and of a sound mind. So contrasting the way that things are in the world. So you've learned these things. I've taught them to you. Now it's your turn. You find faithful people. You pass these things along to them. I'm on my way out. You need to pick up where I'm leaving off. That's the, that, that's the upshot of what we're reading here. And he tells him the reason why it's so very important for him to hold on. Now, as far as our conference has been presented to us, We've looked at the texts and the subject matters and all of the things of all of the speakers. It should get us to the point where we say, now what? What about us? What do we do in these days? And really, you have that answered for you in these verses. So chapter 3, we're not going to read all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4. What I want to look at is the major pieces that we see here presented before us. So as you see them here, they're kind of laid out for you in in the way that they're kind of topics, these times of peril. Look at verse 3, or uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. We've heard that so many times. The word perilous there is used only one other place in the New Testament. And it is found when Jesus... Um, is, is confronted by the demon-possessed man, the Gadaren. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, or chapter 8, rather, verses, verse 28. And it, is, it says of that man that he is exceedingly fierce. So that this perilous is exceedingly fierce. Same word, it's just translated differently. So you could actually look at this and say that in the last days, exceedingly fierce times will come. Take a look around. We're starting to see the pressure even coming against the church in this country like we've never seen it before. And it helps us in our understanding of what it's like elsewhere in the world. But it's coming to our shores now and unfortunately much of the church is inviting it in. So he says this. Here is verse 2, 3, and 4. And we've heard this probably expounded so very many times and oftentimes it is applied to the things that we see on earth. Let's read it. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money and boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, what we look at in that whole series, we can find examples of it all over the place, but let's recognize that what we see at the beginning and the end of what I just read for you, that tells you the disease. The rest of these things are symptoms. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you want to know what the problem is here that's being discussed, you find it at verse 2 at the very beginning of it. For men will be lovers of themselves. Look at how verse 4 ends, rather than lovers of God. There's your problem. Self is what's loved As far as God is concerned, there's no love for him. So everything else in between is a symptom of that disease. These are are the things that are happening within the church. How do we know that it's within the church? At least I use the term church loosely. Look at what verse 5 tells you. They have a form of godliness, having a form. This is like an ongoing thing. It's not they used to. It's that these are the people that purport themselves to be from among you. Having... A form of godliness, but denying its power. And then what does he tell us to do? From such, turn away. This is a doctrinal matter here. Because he's telling Timothy, here's an observation. This is what's taking place. Now here's what you are to do. This is Paul teaching Timothy, stay away from these people. Now when we find those within the church, 
who are teaching things that we know are absolutely incorrect according to the scriptures, oftentimes you'll hear people make excuses for that. And that we shouldn't be calling that out, we shouldn't be discussing it because we're just causing division. I don't know if you noticed that, but in verse 5, Paul is saying when you find people that are doing these things, they have a doctrinal problem, clearly, you could tell it by their actions. He says, separate yourself from those people. But as we see, there are a number of these places, and then from verses 6 down through 9, he gives a bit more description of them, and you can read those. But in verse 10, what I want to point out to us, because again, after this conference is all over, and we see all of the things that are going on, it's always great for us to come back to a verse like this and says, but you. By contrast, Timothy, let me identify the problem with these people. However, when it comes to you, you're the opposite. Look at what he says. But you, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, and my perseverance. My persecutions, my afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Verse 12, and all of those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now again, we remember it's important for us who is the writer, who is the reader, All of those things taken into account, we understand that Timothy's life and Paul's life, much different than ours because of the resistance that they had. But this letter could very easily be read in much of the rest of the world today, and it would absolutely resonate with them. We have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that today, as they woke or will wake, know that very possibly this could be their last day on the planet because they believe in Jesus. It is hard for us to wrap our minds around that. Because we haven't seen that level of persecution, not even close, unless we've traveled there. But for us, it's an easy thing. And it doesn't make us look with real intent at verses like this, because we think that's somewhere else. But notice, this is a universal truth. It is just a statement of fact. And by the grace of God, we've been able to avoid it for some time. But I can definitely tell you this, in my years of being a believer, I have definitely seen a swing and a change in a whole different direction than when I first got saved. I'm sure that we can all agree with that. What you believe, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, what you believe is being ridiculed more than ever before. You are being marginalized in ways as never before because you will take a stand for what we believe to be true. Okay. But right here I'm told in verse 12, don't take it personally. Well, verse 13 stands on its own. And we've looked at some examples of this. Evil men and imposters. The imposter is their action. The thing that prompts them to do the things is because they're evil. But the idea of imposters, people who purport themselves to be one thing and they're actually something else. What are we told about them? They're going to grow worse and worse. And this is interesting. They are deceiving and, in addition, they are being themselves deceived. So we will see more and more of that. The church, or people who who say that they are the church, will be further and further and further away from biblical truth. I know that in my neighborhood, there are a number of churches that if you look at, or if you you take your Bible to church, they're going to look at you like you have three eyes. What is that? 
At best, it would be an accessory because they're not going to open it up when they get in, in, the, in the building. At best, you might have something like this up there for a moment, but the rest of it's going to be a philosophy lesson or something to make you feel good about the way that things are. And they're never going to tell you about the things that are happening outside the doors because they're part of the problem. They're not part of the solution. So right here, we're told this is going to be the case. Remember, what was the predicate for this? Right there in verse 1 of chapter 3. Know this. In the last days, extremely fierce times, perilous times will come. Okay. So the counter, once again, verse 14. But you, second time we've seen it in this chapter. Look at what he says. Here's what you need to do, Timothy. You continue in the things which you have learned and that you have been assured of. Those two things need to work in conjunction. You may learn something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to hold on to it. I learned a lot of things in school that I don't believe. I was told that I was a descendant of apes. Some of you may actually believe that. I don't. You may believe it of me. You might not believe it of you, but you get the picture. I was told that that was true. I was told that the earth is billions of years old and that the universe was created in a big bang. I'm told all that stuff. Okay, great. I learned it. I don't believe it. It takes two different things. These are the things that you have learned but then been assured of. Now, who is it that assures us of truth? It is the work of the Holy Spirit to take it from being just head knowledge to that we accept it and we believe these things. And then he says, knowing from whom you have learned them. And yes, it is the Holy Spirit, but he also talks about the human people that were involved in the process. They are identified at the earliest of his life as Lois and Eunice in the first chapter. Okay, so that's his mother and his grandmother, or his grandmother's mother. Lois and Eunice, these people that from his earliest years. But then you take into account also this person, Paul, and whoever else may have been there. There have been a lot of years put into this young man. So we read, verse 15, that from your childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, and these are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, notice that that is the lead-in to a verse that probably most of us can, can recite without even looking at the page. For all Scripture is given by God. It is profitable for what? Above everything else. Doctrine. Dadaskalia. I love to point this out because I find it to be such an important word. It is used 21 times in the New Testament. Twice, Jesus uses it. It is found in Matthew and Mark Speaking of the exact same event where Jesus says, you teach as doctrine the traditions of men. Two other times Paul uses it, or, or uh, um, actually it is four other times Paul uses it in his epistles. But of 15 of those 21 times, it is used by Paul to either Titus or to Timothy, pastor to pastor. Doctrine, those things which you teach based upon what you know of who God is, which is told to you in the scriptures. These are important matters, and I have heard more than one pastor say, we don't spend a lot of time in doctrine because it's divisive. Pastors, you have picked a side in this fight by making that statement. All scripture is given, and it is profitable. It is useful for doctrine. Without doctrine, how on earth would you do the rest? Reproof and correction and instruction and in righteousness. If you don't have anything to do it based upon, you have nothing but philosophy. And you would be, you would be ill-equipped to do what verse 17 says. 
that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. Everything that God requires and asks of us. Doctrine, what we believe, why we believe it, that we can stand upon it knowing from whom we have learned it, that we have been assured of these things. It goes beyond just knowledge and learning to I believe these things. And as a result, here is what I believe and here is what I teach. And it will cover all of these things. Now notice again, as Paul writes this, it is a continuing thought. Because look at chapter 4. Because of that, when you see him say, therefore, he's going to summarize a couple of things and say, because of what I just told you, Timothy, now let me make some application here. Let me show you a few things. Once again, he's going to kind of repeat the days in which they live and his needfulness of being aware of it. So he says, I charge you. I'm giving to you a commission is kind of what's being said here. This is a, this is, it's not being said in a, in a combative or a confrontational way, but it is being said for emphasis sake. There is a charge that I give to you. At the end of this chapter, he's going to say, I'm on my way out. My departure is at hand. So this is a charge that in my absence, here is what you're to do. I charge you, therefore. And then notice who he uses as his witness. Before the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. As we heard in our first session this morning, Jesus, the one who will judge. So then, given that truth, what do we see? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Once again, based upon the doctrine that you've learned in verse 16 of chapter 3, then using that, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. Impossible to do that without the authority of the word of God. And if you think it's just teacher to teach, you know, from teacher to teacher, and it doesn't mean the people on that side of the pulpit, you're mistaken because earlier in chapter 2 he says, you find other people and you pass it along to them that they may do likewise. You get it? We all have the same authoritative writing here. The person that the Lord sends you to does not need your opinion. They don't need my opinion. They don't need anyone's opinion. They need what God has to say because he addresses everything of humanity somewhere in his word. I don't care what the topic is. Um, Something else that that, uh, Pastor David had said about all of the different genders, if you were here this morning, that depending on you know, how absurd the whole thing has become. We're up into the 50s of the different types of potential, quote, genders. And what's really funny is that if any of those people of any one of those genders that they want to talk about were somehow to leave their DNA at a crime scene, they're looking for a man or a woman. Correct? I know this will make some people mad, but these are the days in which we live. These are these perilous, vicious times. If a person identifies as something other than man or woman, we're no longer talking biology. We're talking psychology. It is a mental thing. It is not a biological thing. We want to be careful how we say that because we don't want to alienate the people that we talk to by using coarse language, but we want to be honest with them. Perilous times. Now, here's a funny thing. After saying that, that may be a shock to some of your systems to hear me say that. Well, look at what we hear there at the next part. 
Say these things that are needful, Timothy. Why would you do that? Well, verse 3 tells us the time's going to come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. This word endure, of course, the soundness of doctrine means that it's healthy. And the doctrine is that thing which you teach, right? So if that thing which you teach is biblically healthy, the day's going to come when people don't want to hear it. They won't endure it. In fact, the word gives it kind of, if we were to try to put it into a modern terms, it's kind of like, I'm not going to take that from you. I'm not going to take that from you. I won't stand for that. That's the kind of attitude that's being spoken of here. They won't endure it any longer. So what will they do? Well, according to their own desires. Don't talk to me about doctrine. Don't talk to me about all that divisive stuff. Remember, these are people in the church. Quote, unquote. According to their own desires. Why? Because they're having itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear. I have an itch. I need to scratch it. Because I have itching ears. They will then heap up to themselves teachers. I will find someone who tells me what I want to hear. I don't know what it's like in this part of, of like the valley in this part of Wisconsin. I have heard little bits and pieces of some of the churches and the things that are being taught. And it gets worse by the day. I can tell you about what it's like where we are. I can tell you that within a couple of miles of our church, where on a Sunday morning like today, we'll have a few hundred people that will come and go through the doors. Within two miles of us, there are two churches that between the two of them probably have 15 to, I don't know, 15 or so thousand people that will go through the doors of those two churches. They will not hear anything of any biblical value in the whole time that they're there. They may read a couple of scriptures, but there's no depth to it. Why? Because people won't endure it. I won't stand for that. Don't you tell me what I have to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. And you'll have plenty of people that are willing to do that because they'll have full sanctuaries. It's an easy thing to do to fill a sanctuary. If you've got enough money to make the atmosphere really cool, and if you have really good musicians and great multimedia and all the rest of that stuff, you can fill your church. Because then you all, all you've got to do is find out what the people want to hear. And just tell it to them. Find somebody that's good at telling stories. Have him be the guy that does it. Grab a couple of other really cool people and make a video and do all that stuff. And people will walk out of there thinking it's great. Tell them they've got to sweep the popcorn off of their shirt because that's embarrassing. But you get the picture. That now is church. I've said this, I think, over this pulpit before. Take that nonsense and try to plant that church in Kabul. Tell me how it works. How long would that last? Would that church function, say, somewhere around Acts chapter 7 in Jerusalem? You're kidding yourself. It's ridiculous. But we got plenty of them today. That's because people will no longer endure the soundness of doctrine. But because they won't endure it, they still want to be able to identify with it because, well, I'm a Christian. I pray. I pay my tithe. I do this. I do that. All the rest of it. But I'm not listening to those judgmental people down the street. I'm going to right here. Not right here like Calvary Appleton, but (laughs) they will heap for themselves teachers. And as a result, they will turn their ears away from the truth. Then they will be turned to fables. Again, I can't help it. The board game. The whole book that started that whole mess. Your best life now. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a fable. Because there's no promise that this is your best life now. And if this is your best life now, God help you. Because your eternity is going to get ugly. 
We are not promised things here. In fact, when you read through chapters 3 and 4, we're not promised a whole lot of easy life. But right now here where we are in time, we're actually kind of able to experience it. And will we end up having it all the way up until the Lord returns? Perhaps. Could it turn ugly? Perhaps. What's going to happen between now and then? No clue. How much will we have to endure? I can't tell you. It's not for me to know. I'm just told that these days would be incredibly fierce. Turn to fables. So think of all the different things being paraded around and masquerading as truth in the church. It is concerning. Times have changed and they've changed immensely. Here's the third of those but you. Verse 5 of 2 Timothy 4 tells us this. By contrast, Timothy, but you. You be watchful in all things. Of all the things that I could have had read from what I'm sharing with you this morning, this one means the most to me. And as we close this, this conference this year, we've looked at so many things of the prophetic, things that we were told would happen. We've looked at the evidence all around the world from a whole bunch of different ways. So what is the church to do with all of that? We don't want to be like the world. We don't want to have its objectives and we don't want to have its goals. We want to be the fly in the ointment without somehow trying to be the subversives or any of the rest of that. Look, that's not what we're asked to be. We are asked to be a light in the midst of darkness. We are asked to know what we believe and why we believe it and we are to give that away freely to whoever asks. So with that, we are to be watchful in all things. Know the world around you, understand the times, and know how to use it as an opportunity to to teach the good news. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, go out with the message. Now this doesn't mean that you have to have a sandwich board and a bullhorn, that's not what's being mentioned here. An evangelist in this sense, remember it's based upon here's what you know, all scripture is given by God and it is profitable for those things. Don't be like the ones that are mentioned in verses 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 3. You're the opposite. Notice this is the third time that he said, but you go out and do the work of an evangelist. You have the message. You know what is necessary to see people's lives changed. Do that work. But I love this one. Fulfill your ministry. Bring it to completion. Make evidence of it. Paul's done that. And remember, Paul has said in this Do as I do. You've watched, you've heard, you've seen, you've observed. You were there for all of it. This is a young man who's followed him around. He knows the things that are supposed to be done. If you're a brand new believer in here, you've just begun to know what this looks like. And you'll spend the rest of your life, hopefully, just pursuing after him. And I can guarantee you this. If you will take as much effort in following after him, in following whatever you did before, you're going to grow leaps and bounds and you will realize you have nowhere else to go. You will stay with him no matter what because he is your life here and eternally. I'll leave you with this. There is the very recognizable discussion that happens in John chapter 6. Jesus said something that he knew would have the reaction that it got. And he talks to them about, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. 
we can see how that was reacted to. You can see the people that said many left him and they didn't walk with him any longer. He looks to them and he, he uses the word that we get the word scandalous from. He says, is this a scandalous thing that I've said to all of you? And as they're thinking through that, he says, are you all going to leave as well? And it's Peter who stands or Peter who gives the answer. And he says, well, where else are we going to go? I'll ask you this question and say, fill in the blank of whatever you may have come your way today, tomorrow, whenever, that really challenges you to your core. Can you at the end of the day say, where else am I going to go? What else is there? Think of what he said right after that. He goes, where else are we going to go? You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You've proven to us who you are and what you've said and that it's real. Where else would we possibly go? There's nothing else for us. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that we could answer as he did. There's nothing else. This is all that we have. If you've been here once again for the conference, you've heard a lot of things, you might find yourself troubled. Whatever the case may be, you've also seen a couple of chapters here that is one contrast after another. There are those people, and then Timothy, there is you, and the ones like you. There are those, and then there is you. He gives several of those examples. You can see the characteristics of them. Here's what I want to ask every person who hears this this morning. When you see But you, Timothy, could you stand behind him if there was a line behind him? Because if that's the case, you're in good shape. Because it's as though Paul, through the ages, because God has preserved his word for us to read, it means as much to you as it did to him, aside from the whole pastor thing and all the rest. But you want to, at the same time, be able to say of the characteristic things that are that are given as a way of description to Timothy, passed along to him by Paul, they are to the believer. If you find yourself being in agreement with those things, praise the Lord. And just know that the days around you, will, they will tempt you, they will test you. Maybe even to the point where you start to really question some things. We have nowhere else to go. If you look at the rest of the lists and think, that may be speaking about me, that I'm on the other side of that. I'm, being, I'm the person that's being warned against. The good news is that If you see it, then you're aware of it, and that means that there's remedy for it. It means that you can come down here as we're dismissed. If you need to talk with one of the pastors to sort those things out. If it means that you just need to finally get to the point of saying, God, I'm done running, and I want to settle this. You can come down here. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. You can settle those things. But as you read them, What I'm hoping is that you take into account that, yeah, it doesn't speak past any human being. We fit in one of those camps. It doesn't speak past us. The scripture always speaks to us. And it puts us in a category. We're either walking with him or we are rebellious to him. And only you know the truth of that. He fixes the eternity of the rebellious. How do I know? Dwight. (laughs) What else do you need to know? But there's no turning back. No turning back. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. How grateful we are for your word. How grateful we are that you have left us with complete understanding because of what you have taught us. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit who takes them from being words on a page to actual words of life that transform and change us on the most basic of levels. 
I thank you for all of those who are here that you have assembled in this place. And as we read your word, it is to confront us. And if we're walking rightly, God, may we be encouraged by the things that we see. If there are things that maybe cause us concern, we can bring those to you and you are the God who is able. You fix those broken things. You correct the heart. You make all things new. May we be honest enough to see where we are in that. We ask, Lord, that you would glorify yourself in the lives of those who love you in this place. Use us to do that work of the evangelist, as your word says. To those who are wayward, we ask, Lord, that you would move upon their hearts, that they would reach to you, that you might correct. We thank you and we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. They are to the believer. If you find yourself being in agreement with those things, praise the Lord. And just know that the days around you, will, they will tempt you, they will test you. Maybe even to the point where you start to really question some things. We have nowhere else to go. If you look at the rest of the lists and think, that may be speaking about me, that I'm on the other side of that. I'm, being, I'm the person that's being warned against. The good news is that if you see it, then you're aware of it, and that means that there's remedy for it. It means that you can come down here as we're dismissed. If you need to talk with one of the pastors to sort those things out. If it means that you just need to finally get to the point of saying, God, I'm done running, and I, I want to settle this. You can come down here. We want to we talk with you. We want to pray with you. You can settle those things. But as you read them, what I'm hoping is that you take into account that, yeah, it doesn't speak past any human being. We fit in one of those camps. It doesn't speak past us. The scripture always speaks to us. And it puts us in a category. We're either walking with him or we are rebellious to him. And only you know the truth of that. He fixes the eternity of the rebellious. How do I know? Dwight. <laughs> what else do you need to know? But there's no turning back. No turning back. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. How grateful we are for your word. How grateful we are that you have left us with complete understanding because of what you have taught us. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit who takes them from being words on a page to actual words of life that transform and change us on the most basic of levels. I thank you for all of those who are here that you have assembled in this place. And as we read your word, it is to confront us. And if we're walking rightly, God, may we be encouraged by the things that we see. If there are things that maybe cause us concern, we can bring those to you and you are the God who is able. You fix those broken things. You correct the heart. You make all things new. May we be honest enough to see where we are in that. We ask, Lord, that you would glorify yourself in the lives of those who love you in this place. Use us to do that work of the evangelist, as your word says. To those who are wayward, we ask, Lord, that you would move upon their hearts, that they would reach to you, that you might correct. We thank you and we give you all praise. In Jesus' name, amen.